on this bonus episode of Jeff Does Vegas. We had people from all walks of life and professions who were having these illicit sexually charged chats with somebody they knew or thought very clearly was a minor and would show up oftentimes bringing condoms, alcohol, uh, and other things related to the sexual liaison they wanted to have. Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Hey there, and welcome to this very special bonus episode of Jeff Does Vegas. This episode comes with a bit of a backstory that I feel I need to share in order to create some context. In mid-December of 2022, I had an email show up in my inbox with the subject line, Chris Hansen Interview. I was a little confused by this at first since I've never interviewed Chris Hansen on my podcast, but once I started to read the email, that confusion subsided. I was being offered the opportunity to talk with the one and only Chris Hansen, formerly of Dateline NBC, and perhaps best known for the famous To Catch a Predator series of investigative reports. Now, if you're not totally familiar with the concept of To Catch a Predator, allow me to explain. A group of decoys playing the part of preteen and teenage boys and girls enter online chat rooms and wait for adults to attempt to engage them in sexually graphic conversations. A meeting is set up, the predator comes to the house to meet who he believes is the minor he's going to have sex with, and instead, he's greeted by Chris Hansen, then by law enforcement. But what does any of this have to do with Las Vegas? Well, as it turns out, Chris Hansen is headed to Las Vegas for a run of live shows at the South Point Hotel and Casino on February 3rd, 4th, and 5th. He'll be talking about the To Catch a Predator series, as well as his latest Predator investigations, sharing behind-the-scenes and never-before-seen footage, and hosting an interactive Q&A session with the audience. During our chat, Chris and I talked about the beginnings of To Catch a Predator and where the idea for the series came from, the effect new online platforms are having on his investigations, his new streaming channel, True Blue, and much more. So... Why don't you have a seat and enjoy my conversation with Chris Hansen. I became aware of an online watchdog group called Perverted Justice. And at that time, its contributors would go into chat rooms uh, on AOL and Yahoo and create a profile of somebody who was unmistakably underage, 12, 13, 14 years old, and they would just exist. And if an adult hit on them, approached them, and if the conversation turned sexual and a meeting was scheduled, they would then post this person on their website, pervertedjustice.com, as somebody who the community should be aware of, as somebody who might be dangerous to children. I thought that if we could combine their ability to be decoys in a chat room with our ability 
uh, at the network at the time to wire a house with hidden cameras and microphones and confront these guys, it could be pretty compelling. We knew there was a problem. We knew that children were being approached in a very dangerous way online. There was a new way for predators to, to, uh, to go after kids. And we thought maybe this would be a way to expose that, to confront people, to create a dialogue and some awareness. We didn't know what was going to happen. You know, I was driving out to the very first investigation in February of 2004, wondering if I had just wasted tens of thousands of dollars of the network's money. And with that, my producer called and said, where the hell are you? We've got two guys scheduled to show up in 45 minutes. And before the end of that investigation in Bethpage, Long Island, we saw... 17 men surfaced in two and a half days, including a New York City firefighter. When you first started doing the stings and the investigations, what was it that surprised you the most? Was it the fact that people were actually showing up? Was it the the type of people that were showing up? What was it? Well, first and foremost, it was the fact that people were even showing up. And then, you know, we got to the second investigation And what was shocking was we had a clergyman, we had a military guy, we had a teacher, we had people from all walks of life and professions who were having these illicit sexually charged chats with somebody they knew or thought very clearly was a minor and would show up oftentimes bringing condoms, alcohol, Uh, and other things related to the sexual liaison they wanted to have. Were you ever shocked at just how brazen some of these guys were? I mean, in watching some of the original To Catch a Predator investigations and reports, it it was incredible to me to see these guys just walk into the house and, and some of them even going as far as just taking off all their clothes. Oh, yeah. No, it was it was it was absolutely stunning to me. In that second investigation where we had the rabbi show up, he walked in like he owned the place at noon on a Wednesday. Another fellow, John Canelli, stripped in the garage and walked in naked. Now, I'd never interviewed a naked man before. I know wardrobe malfunctions happen in, in sports reporting and locker rooms, but nobody had ever trained me for this sort of thing. And as we progressed and up until today, you know, we still do these investigations for the new streaming crime network, True Blue, uh, that we have now. Um, it still amazes me 19 years, almost later, guys are still showing up. They will even go into the chat and say, is this a Chris Hansen deal? Is this a so-and-so, uh, law enforcement department deal? And the decoy says, well, I don't know who that is or what. And they still show up. Sometimes the guys will come around the corner, see me and my name will be the first words out of their mouth. And routinely the excuses are, I wasn't going to do anything. I was just here to help the child. Uh, get her out of this bad behavior pattern, or I w- wasn't really going to go through with it. And, you know, we're, we're just, I was just going over a script uh, on a piece that's going to be uh, uploaded in, in a matter of minutes on True Blue. And it's the same sort of thing. But each and every one of these guys presents a danger to a child. As they went on, were you less and less surprised, or, or was there just always a new twist every single time you did this? There's always a new twist. Uh, even today. But in the beginning, um, you know, so many people were showing up that we felt compelled to, you know, collaborate with law enforcement for a couple of different reasons. One, it was the only socially responsible way to proceed 
Uh, and two, if you took it from a just a pure television production standpoint, it was unfulfilling to the viewer and to, to us as a team of journalists to see these guys just walk off and in some cases not face any consequences. And so in the third investigation with the Riverside County Sheriff's Department with the prosecutor's office there, we did collaborate. And once we finished our part, our interview with the subject, they would leave and then they were arrested and prosecuted. And that's the way it's been ever since. Was there ever a point during any of these investigations where you were concerned for your safety? I mean, I know you have security with you and you've got the police just outside and it's it's not like you're there by yourself, but you are in a situation where there is the potential for things to go badly. Oh, yeah. It's it's uh, look, it's about as safe as it can be for what it is. And look, there's no doubt that the edgy nature of it, the unpredictability of it uh, is part of what makes it so appealing to, to folks who, who watch it. Uh, and I understand that. But I think for what it is, we've made it absolutely as safe as possible. Have there been times when I've been clenched a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Have there been times when I, I'm not so sure how this is going to go? Yeah, but we set it up so there are safety uh, protocols and so that, God forbid, if something did go sideways, we would be able to get out of the way and let law enforcement handle it. Um, You know, we had a case in Flagler Beach, Florida years back where a guy didn't show up during the sting. He showed up uh, after we had shut down for the evening. And so the police in that uh, locality, arrested him on a traffic stop. Well, he had a 38 loaded pistol in his pocket. He had three uh, other weapons in his vehicle, hundreds of rounds of ammunition and, and all kinds of stuff. And so you, you shudder to think what could have happened if the scenario had been different. I fully believe that we would have all been safe and he would have been arrested pretty much without incident. But it gives you pause to think about you know, the nature of the crime and the criminal. And while most of these guys are cowardly because they take advantage of children, you don't know how, uh, you know, a trapped animal is going to act once they're trapped. And that's the, that's the um, you know, the, the unknown in all of this. But it is, as far as we can make it safe, we do. And we collaborate these days pretty closely with police for all those reasons. On average, how long were the interactions between decoys and predators before any sort of meeting would be arranged? The longest would be, you know, a month, you know, four or five weeks. The shortest would be four or five minutes. Uh, We've had it both ways. We've had cases both in Florida recently and in Michigan recently where a guy had surfaced in previous investigations and not showed up but did show up ultimately in this investigation. And uh, that's very telling in terms of what these guys are willing to do, because there's, there's always a certain percentage of guys who get off on the chat. They are satisfied, aroused uh, by this role play, I suppose you could call it. Uh, even though it's illegal to solicit a child, the, the crime typically takes place online, but the guy doesn't show up. So, you know, there isn't a meeting. Sometimes those guys are still prosecuted depending on the nature of the chat. But, you know, it it shows you that if these guys stay at it long enough, they will ultimately cross that line between fantasy and reality. And we'll see them in our kitchen. What percentage of these guys do you figure actually end up no showing after a a meeting has been arranged? 
Oh, I'd say at least a quarter no-show, either because they get spooked, they develop a conscience, they see that what they're doing is just so profoundly wrong, damaging, and illegal that they decide not to go through with it. And that's fine. You know, I, I, I often, you know, have this discussion only, you know, half seriously that, you know, if, if people didn't show up in our criminal investigations anymore, we could maybe go do a cooking show in Italy. And that might be nice in my, in my later years. But so far, that's not happened yet. What's amazed me in some of the investigations that I've watched and in some of the podcasts that I've listened to is the guys that get presented with every red flag in the world, mm-hmm. and yet they still show up. Well, I think it, what, it, what it shows, Jeff, is that there are people out there who are willing to cast all their fears aside to fulfill this fantasy this drive they have to have sex with a child. And it's not just one profile. It's, you know, there's a group of guys who are hardcore heavy hitters who'd be doing this with or without the internet. They're, they're, they're a group of young guys who are socially inept and look at this as a Romeo Juliet situation. And one day the girl will be older and this will be socially acceptable. And those guys can probably be given probation and some sort of education and therapy and monitoring that, will prevent them from offending again. They'll learn their lesson. But the, 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 these guys in the middle, the uh, professional, the doctor, the lawyer, the cop, who probably wouldn't be doing this without the internet, but they develop these fantasies, these obsessions, and they blur the lines that we have in society traditionally between adults and children, and they, they, they have this drive to fulfill it. And they see the opportunity, and it's fueled by the... 24-hour access to the internet, the addictive quality, and sometimes the anonymity it provides. These people start by saying things online they wouldn't say face-to-face, and it develops into this obsession that they have to fulfill. You're still doing these things today and these investigations today. There are so many social media platforms out there now. I mean, back when these first started, really, you had Yahoo Chat, you had MSN Messenger, you had AOL, you had MySpace. Now you're into so many different platforms. Has this made it harder to conduct these stings in that you now have to, as a, as a decoy on that side of things, create a, a more realistic or a more in-depth social media profile to, to lure a predator in? Or is it easier in that you're now sort of casting this net into a a bigger potential ocean of predators? Well, it's it's a great question and a, and a very astute observation of what's going on on the internet these days. The the, the whole uh, landscape has changed from when we started. And you're right, there is more of this activity than ever before, but it's diffuse, and so it's harder to. Uh, monitor than ever before because there are so many platforms you may have people on kick or badu or uh roblox you know which is a child game online um so many different ways that adults can reach out to children and especially during the pandemic you know the mandatory reporting that goes on from the social media platforms to the national center for missing and exploited children would indicate that the the number of inappropriate contacts soared by some 900% at the peak of the uh, pandemic. So we know it's happening because this is mandatory reporting to a very reliable 
agency. Um, but it is, as you mentioned, much more difficult to detect and to hold people accountable for because it is so spread out. Uh, but it's going on and it's more prevalent than ever, I would say. I never even would have thought of the online gaming platforms as somewhere where people would be prowling. Yeah, it's it's big. I have friends whose kids play Fortnite and, and Minecraft and things like that online. And, and the prospect of, of something like that happening is is terrifying. Well, I tell parents all the time when I speak to groups, you know, they ask, how do we prevent this? And I said, it's a continuing open dialogue between parents and children that has to start at a at the same age where they have access to the internet. You know, when you give them a phone and untethered uh, access to the internet, you better have had that conversation about sexuality and, and adults who may want to trick kids and all kinds of things. Because, you know, when I was growing up, we were told don't talk to strangers. Well, that was good advice then and good advice today. But the problem is the guy who's a stranger on Wednesday is so adept at grooming He's not a stranger by the time Friday rolls around. And, and I see this over and over again. I, I do a podcast called Predators I've Caught where we go over past cases and I immerse myself in the transcripts of the chats, the videos, the interviews, the detectives' interviews. And, and then I talk about that specific case. And it is creepy and disturbing, but there is a template of grooming that many of these predators use. And you can see it develop. No, you don't look 13. You look 20 at youngest. Oh, gee, thanks. Uh, somebody like you probably already has a boyfriend. You're not interested in something like me. I'm too old. Uh, age is just a number. And then you see the doors open. And they jump right into a very graphic sexual conversation. And, and they show after the break chris tells us what to expect from his upcoming vegas show why he made the jump into the podcast world with his series predators i've caught and some of the other investigations he's been able to pursue thanks to to catch a predator that's next on jeff does vegas Does it amaze you that people are still showing up for this? Oh, yeah. I mean, your investigations have been going on for a very long time. You're you're almost a part of, of pop culture now in that people know about To Catch a Predator and, and they know what's going on. It, it's it's got to just be baffling that, that people keep showing up. Well, yeah, and, and, and it does surprise me to answer your question. And, and I never thought in the beginning when I pitched this to the network that we'd do it more than two or three times. It was never conceived to be a franchise in any way. It was conceived as a, as a couple of segments for Dateline, and that was it. And it, it's become, you know, as you mentioned, it, you know, a, a little bit iconic in pop culture, it's opened up a lot of doors. It's allowed me to do a lot of stories and have access to issues that are very important. We just finished yesterday in San Francisco, um, continuing our investigation into sextortion. And these kids who get tricked into sending a sexually explicit photo of themselves and then blackmailed by someone in, who in many cases is half a world away in West Africa. And these kids are, you know, these boys especially are, 
16, 17 years old, their brains aren't thoroughly formed to realize that this is not going to be a big problem. Who cares if this guy's got a picture? What's he going to do? Post it on grandma's Facebook site? But they get so so upset about it. And, and, and many of these kids are straight-A students and athletes, and, and they don't know how to deal with it. And we've seen a shocking number of suicides in this country attributed to sextortion. And these horrifyingly hurt parents pour their hearts out to us in these interviews. You know, I wouldn't have been mad at this kid. I'd love this kid. I, I, we would have figured it out. We would have talked about it. But in that moment in time, this child is so devastated by the possibility of his whole online life being turned upside down and embarrassing his parents that they make this impulsive decision to take their own life. And it, it just breaks my heart. But again, you know, the, the, the harnessing the energy and the power and the, the uh, notability of the, the Predator franchise allows us to do all these other stories for True Blue. And, and again, it's, it's about creating awareness and a dialogue that didn't exist before. And in some cases, like the story we're shooting as we speak in Detroit, where I am now, it's about taking people inside these crimes and understanding the mind of a predator. And, and I think once you do that and, and you hear from a victim occasionally, you can prepare other people to not be victims. And I think that's, that's the, the thread in this entire narrative for us. Mentioned earlier a little bit about how you and To Catch a Predator and that whole franchise has kind of become a part of pop culture. And with that comes the the parodies and the memes and things like that. Given the serious nature of what it is that you are covering, are you ever bothered by any of those parodies or any of those memes? Or, or do you just sort of have a laugh at it and say, well, it, it is what it is? I, you know, I used to be a little sensitive at first um, because even as somebody who's been in this business, I mean, I started in radio at 18 and got into television at 21. So, you know, I've been arguably a public figure for a long time. But yeah, it was it was a lot to handle when it became that popular that quickly. Um, and I always tell the story that when my older two were in high school, they attended classes with kids whose dads did a lot of cool, important stuff, sports figures. Wall Street guys. So having a dad on television wasn't a big deal. But when South Park did a Chris Hansen to catch a predator parody, suddenly I was the coolest dad. So <laughs> as time went by, I came to the conclusion that, yeah, they're making fun of it in a way. But it's also another reason to talk about a very important topic. And it brings attention to a very important topic. And I'm fine with that. You know, I really am. I'm very comfortable with it because it does just give me a bigger platform to talk about these very important issues and to do what I think is very important work, like the kind of stories and investigations that we do for True Blue. I do want to talk about the podcast, uh, Predators I've Caught with Chris Hansen. I have been binge listening for the last uh, several weeks and getting uh, caught up on it and and some of the, the stories that you've been covering. Um, what is it that made you decide to go to the podcast medium and and reshare some of these stories with people? Well, I think there are a couple of different reasons, Jeff. Um, one, I think there's an interest. Uh, there's a very loyal following and people who want to know more about these cases. And I think this satisfies some of that interest. Two, I guess it's a little bit, uh, to be brutally honest, it's a little bit therapeutic to me 
to resolve some of these things that I, I, I didn't get to resolve in the heat of the moment, you know, and I find that very helpful to myself, my own psyche and my own intellectual curiosity. Um, and two, uh, you know, I think the podcast is, is a great platform to get it out there to people in a way that they can consume it at their own pace, at their own timing. And I, I think it's, it's become popular because of all that. I, I'm brutally honest about it. I tell people exactly what I was it's experiencing in the moment. We go back and try to find these characters and see what they're up to, see if they've gotten back into trouble or they've led a great life. And we attempt to actually sit down and talk to them. And we're in the process of, I hope, getting close to actually having some interviews with these people. Um, so I, and I think that's, again, it's about getting into the mind of somebody who we need to understand. It's not a particularly glamorous uh, element of medicine or, or psychiatry. And so the more that we can understand it, the better we can protect ourselves. Something that, um, that I've sort of found almost kind of jarring or shocking with the podcast. And I think it's the reason that I think it's important for people to, to listen to the podcast versus maybe going back and watching old episodes of, of to catch a predator is I guess the limitation of, of TV and what you can say on TV versus a podcast. I found it very almost shocking as to how graphic some of these conversations are and how quickly they turn graphic. Oh yeah. And, and we had a discussion uh, with my producers I did and uh, um, just weighing how graphic we should get and, and does that scare people and, and does it scare advertisers and sponsors because after all you gotta, you know, you gotta make a bit of business out of it. And, and the decision was made that we would just be out there with it, that we would say what they said. We would explain it. We try to put it into context. Our goal is not to offend people, but you know, it is what it is. And these predators are who they are. And so we made the decision in the very beginning that we were just going to get it all out there and, and, you know, put the alert out there at the beginning that, you know, this is not necessarily for kids. This is for grownups. And it will give you, however, the ammunition you need to have a meaningful conversation with your kid because you're going to have it all out there on television. You know, you've got different, different sensitivity. Um, that's the other thing about the streaming world. We can, we can push it a little further to you know show people exactly what goes on in these cases so it's 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 an ideal platform for for doing that you're taking the show to las vegas you're going to go live at the south point which i think is really kind of a, a cool concept um tell me a little bit about the the decision to to go to vegas and what people are going to get out of this show well my producers um joe goner and steve cohen have been talking about doing something in in a public venue you know at first we talked about college campuses and and that's still something we want to do to talk about you know what we've done uh, with the predator investigations and then joe garner came up with the idea of, of talking to somebody he knew at the south point in vegas and the ball got rolling and we thought if we can put together a multimedia live experience where we take people inside these investigations into this world um, because of the, the large number of people who, who follow this, who are fascinated by it, 
And to have me on stage with all this going on, with a lot of video that nobody's ever seen before, and to interact with the live audience, it could be very compelling. And so we decided to do it. It's a little bit out of my comfort zone uh, because it's as much public speaking as I've done. This is this is different. This is a this is a whole different platform. But I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to do it. We're working like crazy to get it all put together for. February third, fourth, and fifth, in at the South Point, as you mentioned, and it, it's a great, it's a great place. You know, if if you've been there, it's where they do the big rodeos and the bowling championships, and they have a NASCAR team. It's a family-owned casino, and it's it's really nicely put together. and And the theater there is is big enough to do what we want to do, and has the technology to do it, but it's intimate enough to be the right size for this. So I'm. I'm uh, thrilled to be able to do it. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity and, and we're excited to excited to get it started. And I think it's really cool that you're doing it as a Q&A as well. And people are going to have that opportunity to, to yeah. interact with you. Well, I, I'll give you a little secret. We're actually going to have something um, that'll be very meaningful for people <laughs> who have followed the predator investigations on stage with me. And uh, it, uh, <laughs> It'll get people's attention. It's it's quite something, but uh, yeah, it's it's it. Um, I'm excited I, again. It's, I think sometimes you you have to push yourself creatively, and, and uh, not that we don't every day with the documentaries and investigations we do for True Blue, but I, I think it's another element to, um, to to this particular franchise, this very important story that we've been trying to tell for so many years. And it's you know next month it'll be 19 years from the very first investigation which is shocking to me that makes me feel very old i (laughs) (laughs) how do you think i feel (laughs) i'm doing them (laughs) um chris if people want to find you you're still doing investigations you're still doing reporting where can people find you now watch trueblue.com t-r-u-b-l-u it's a streaming network um where we have a lot of documentaries uh we have the new predator series we have a brand new uh, crime news magazine called True Crime Nation. And I do a lot of reporting there, a lot of interviews with people in the crime news world. Um, and, and, you know, 40 years of doing this has given me a lot of access. So on the 26th anniversary of uh, Jean Benet being murdered, we interviewed John Ramsey, who takes us inside where the case is now, what he thinks needs to be done. We um, uh, uh, led to the arrest of a of a guy who is on social media, the Facebook fiend who is victimizing young women and, and um, our reporting contributed to his arrest. And he's in court today being arraigned and, and you know, from Idaho to uh, everything else that we're working on, you know, it's going to be a place where people can turn to for enterprise crime reporting and see stories they won't see anywhere else. I'm very happy with it. And of course you're all over social media. Where can people follow you? Twitter is at Chris Hansen. Uh, official Chris Hansen on Instagram, Facebook, all over the place. Um, where else are we? TikTok. Have a seat with Chris Hansen. Um, I'm a little new at TikTok, but uh, some of the videos seem to be pretty popular. So we put up our tease videos there as well. Excellent stuff. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to jump on and have a conversation. I really do appreciate it. And uh, very much looking forward to the show in Vegas. Looking forward to it as well. Thanks, Jeff, so much. I appreciate it.
And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production.